My name is Jeremy Devins, and this is the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to give away basically what I think is the most important thing. And I don't like to use the word secrets, but if I were going to say there's a secret to teaching a great yoga class, this is it. And it's all about what this episode is about. So we're going to get into that in just a moment. But today's episode is brought to you by the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training, which you can check out right now at quietmind.yoga slash YTT, or click the link in the show notes. And we've got some info sessions coming up. We've got our March 2021 class starting very soon. And you can check it all out there at quietmind.yoga slash YTT. If you've been thinking about deepening your practice, building a yoga community, it's been an amazing process and journey of having this teacher training running. And we've had People go from this training right into teaching inside of the Quiet Mind Yoga membership, right into running their own business. So a lot of success stories coming out of these trainings and a lot of amazing people who've gone through this. So you get to be a part of this amazing group and what I think is one of the highest quality yoga trainings you can find because I've really been doing this work and this practice and gone through many trainings as a student and a teacher over the years and put together the best lessons from all of the yoga texts, all of the trainings, all of the teachers I've worked with, thousands of hours of practice, thousands of hours of teaching consolidated into this 200-hour program that I think is a phenomenal training and everything that I wish could possibly go into a training. So it's quietmind.yoga slash YTT if you want to check it out. And at the heart of that whole training, the big secret, the big reveal, the thing that makes an amazing yoga class I think is the sequencing bell curve. Now there's a whole lot of things that go into that and there's a whole lot of other details and nuances, but this general flow and structure of the class and understanding this bell curve sequence makes everything so much simpler, right? So maybe you're hoping for something a little more dramatic or exciting. It's just the bell curve, right? You've seen that many times. It goes a little bit higher at the top and it comes back down, so there's this bell kind of shape. And that's the general flow of the class that I find works the best to make everything really seem smooth and connected and flow together and have this natural sort of flow to the class that feels good. And you start simple, and you don't just jump into rushing into poses where you're not quite grounded and embodied yet. And you don't end on a big high note where you're in this sort of really challenging active pose and then you suddenly stop. And now you're just back into your life. So it's a nice balance, a nice smooth start from the beginning where you start simple, slow, and more simple poses. Then you slowly increase the complexity to more and more complex poses. And at the peak in the middle section of the class, that's when you're doing the most complex, challenging stuff. And then you wind down, becoming more and more simple, more still, more quiet. And this works with so many levels and so many aspects of what goes into yoga. And, and throughout my training, I just keep coming back to this when I'm working with new teachers. Everything fits into this. So first of all, throughout a yoga class, we want to make sure that we are creating a container, right? So we have a clear start and a clear end. And people know now it's time to practice and we'll go into our yoga practice. And then now it's time to finish and we go back to life outside of practice. So there's this clear container. And within that container, that student can relax into your support. 
and they can just be guided and they don't have to think too much. They don't have to wonder, do I need to do this or that? Everything that they could possibly need to think about, you're guiding the experience and supporting them. So in the bell curve, that's the container, that's the shape of the container that you're creating. Now this applies to whether it's a meditation, yin, hatha, vinyasa, power, all styles can fit into this, of course, unless you're teaching Ashtanga or Bikram or something that's a specific lineage with a set sequence, which I don't teach, so this whole episode is not relevant to that. Uh, but in those styles, it's a little bit different. It's kind of like a bell curve. There is a sort of peak and then a coming down, but it's more half standing, half seated with like uh, vinyasa or Ashtanga vinyasa and Bikram classes. So that is a little different and that works. Right? I'm not saying the bell curve is the only way to do it, but even within those styles, it's still generally following the bell curve to a degree, but there is some differences there. But I think this approach works really well. So another reason we do this is because of the gunas. So in yoga philosophy, we understand Samkhya philosophy, the philosophy of enumeration, of counting and quantifying and understanding the universe and distilling it down to three main qualities or gunas. These are rajas, tamas, and sattva. So rajas is the energy of activity and movement and change. Tamas is the energy of inertia, stillness, dullness. Sattva is the energy of pureness, clarity. Now, typically, in general, we're aiming to live a more sattvic life. And you've certainly experienced this when you get to Shavasana at the end of a class and you feel like you're lighter, clearer, brighter. You just like your mind is sharper. Your senses are more subtle and more perceptive. Your breath is more subtle and present. That's a very sattvic state. There's sattvic foods we can eat, and there's rajasic and tamasic foods we can eat. So generally, everything we're doing is to be more sattvic in a yogic perspective. The quality of clarity, purity, healthy, whole foods, natural foods, less processed, less high stimulant kind of things. Now, to just jump into that, though, is quite unlikely. So if we just are go, go, go throughout the day, all these things going on, and then we sit down to go to yoga class, and then we just sit down and suddenly try to get into a sattvic state, it's not that easy, right? It's We need to kind of work out some kinks and move and breathe, and then it becomes a lot easier to get to that sattvic state and even to a deeper level. So from this bell curve sequence, that would mean sattva can't be at the beginning of the sequence, can't be in the middle, it's got to be at the end. Now, most of the time when we come into a yoga class, we're actually more in either a rajasic or a tamasic state. Now, to fit into this model, I've, I think of it as rajas is in the middle because that's the most activity. Rajas is activity, movement, change, action. So that fits in the middle of the sequence where we want to have the most of those qualities. And that puts tamas at the beginning where maybe we come to class and we're feeling a little tired, not really ready to move as much. Maybe we've been sitting a lot, taking in a lot of input. That's all very tamasic. Maybe even having some heavier processed foods throughout the day, that's very tamasic as well. Right. So if we just come into class and immediately start moving through advanced postures, we're probably going to feel pretty stiff and not ready for that, not warmed up. So we're not ready to jump into the rajas. So we start with the tamas at the beginning of class, the slower, 
quieter, more patient kind of practices, just sitting and noticing the breath. And then maybe going into a simple pose, like a simple stretch, easing into the practice. So whenever I'm teaching, I'm starting from this tamasic space of like, let's start with some simple poses. Let's do some simple movements, simple breath awareness, nothing too complicated, nothing too fancy. Usually we'll start on the back, laying down. Uh, I've, I remember <laughs> when I was first in like the first early years of my practice, I went to a lot of classes where we'd start standing up or sitting up. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But then I started going to this one teacher and she had to start laying down a lot. And that was just so relieving. For me, I was uh, needing that groundedness. That So tamas isn't just a bad thing, right? It's more earthy, kind of grounded, similar to kapha dosha. So the earthy, kind of slow groundedness. So it's a great way to start the practice. And I loved it. And I get a lot of great feedback from students. I think that a lot of people love getting to start laying down, especially if it's a gentle or hatha class. Now, if it's a power class or a strong vinyasa, of course, you can start standing. Yes, you can start right into it. Yes. But in general, I like to start on the back, simple, maybe sitting, maybe on the back, and then start to progress and start to make things a little more complicated. And say, for example, like in the class I actually just taught this morning, on Zoom, we were working with the hip flexors. So we started on the back and did some simple movements to activate and then lengthen the hip flexors on the back. Just like one action, simple movements, nothing too fancy, not too much happening, but you can really focus all of your attention now on the hip flexors, on the glutes, which are the opposite muscles. So they're working and have a relationship to each other that we're sort of establishing and, and connecting to at the beginning. Then, as we start to progress, we're going to start to move a little bit more, and we're starting to ease towards the rajas of the class, the middle of the class. So we're going to move up to kneeling and start moving more, make some more movements, and then to add on to that concept of working with the hip flexors, some more complex movements, right? Instead of just like bringing the knees in and pressing into the thighs on the back, now we're like bringing elbow to knee, maybe moving with the breath, inhale out, exhale elbow to knee, Right, so there's some different movements we can do to make it more complex, more dynamic, more stuff happening. Then we go into more of the rajasic state, more towards the middle of the class. So if this is a 60-minute class, that means the first 15 to 20 minutes is the tamas, the slow, grounded, simple movements. Then the next 20 minutes, since we're saying this is a hatha flow class, like it was for me today that I taught, this next 20 minutes is a more like the sun salutation variations, lunging variations of sun salutations, some chair pose, twists, balances. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you could include in here, but it's going to be more of the standing stuff, more the lunging stuff, more active stuff. And that's from like 20 to 40 minutes of the class. And then 40 to 60 minutes of the class, that's where we start to wind down. And I'm always watching the clock when I'm teaching for that that time around 40 to 45 minutes, I know we've got to shift gears now. We've got to be moving in that direction towards the more sattvic practices, which might include pranayama, meditation, or occasionally still some advanced poses, but it's going to be less activity. So rather than going through several vinyasas or flowing sequences, we're just going to do maybe one or two of those, maybe some different variations, but maybe just holding an advanced pose rather than flowing in and out of advanced poses like we would in the middle. 
So that's where we're kind of going. And, and as we go through, so beginning, starting on the back, then we move to kneeling, and then we go to standing now in the rajasic portion of the class. And this is the most complex, the most active, right? So something like dancer pose is not just uh, acting, activating the glutes. It's not just extending the hip flexors, but there's a back bend. You're grabbing the foot. You're balancing. There's a lot going on. You need to have a steady gaze. Right? So you can build on piece by piece up to those kind of poses that have more stuff going on in the beginning. And then you're doing those really active things in the middle. So most activity, most active, most strong stuff in the middle. And then watching for that point around 40 to 45 minutes, there's a turning point. And that's usually, I'll use like a wide-legged forward fold as a big turning point where now we go upside down. Now the head's below the heart and we're in this inversion, which can be more of a parasympathetic nervous system activation where you might start to feel more calm and grounded. Not everybody will, so I wouldn't say that. But for most people, for a lot of people, it starts to feel like this shift down, like shifting gears down into more uh, the simple poses again, more of the stuff on the ground. So then maybe getting prone on the belly and maybe to sitting at the end in meditation or pranayama. So in doing this, throughout this bell curve of the sequence, now we've addressed all of the gunas. And throughout that sequence, I would have addressed all of the movements of the body. So time to activate the front, the back, the sides, the hips, the shoulders, the core, all of it, the whole body, all the different positions, supine, kneeling, standing, prone, sitting, all the positions of the body, all the movements of the spine, flexion, extension, side bends, twists, inversions. So all of the kind of poses we could do, especially in a Hatha flow or vinyasa class, because it's more fast paced, there's a lot going on. So we can fit in a lot of these different shapes and poses, but even in a yin class or a gentle or Hatha, I will be sure to include a wide variety of movements, except in yin, no standing poses, of course. So throughout that bell curve, that's the general framework that I've got in mind. And now we've gotten down to more of the end of this bell curve and we're into wide-legged forward fold. Now we transition into some deeper flexibility. A lot of teachers will put in a pigeon pose here around this point in the class, around the last 20 minutes. And you hold that for a while, you know, anything like that, like holding a deeper stretching pose. It doesn't have to be pigeon, but that's, that's the kind of feel. And I'm sure you've experienced that. That sort of winding down, you're in pigeon, it's everything's slowing down, holding the pose. And it's easier to go into deeper flexibility because of all the activation stuff. It's easier to have a quieter mind and feel more calm in the mind and body because of all the activation and the movement. And just physically, it's just so beneficial to move our bodies in all of the possible movements and directions. And that makes it so much easier to wind down and relax at the end. So then it's like we're already in the sattvic state just because of the rajasic and tamasic stuff we did. Then we get towards the end of the class and sitting in meditation becomes way easier and more attainable and more accessible for people who are newer to it as well. So then we can go into sitting and ending the class in meditation or shavasana or any last resting pose people like to do. And then we close the container. And I like to have a specific way I start and end each class. So at the beginning of class, I'll say what props we need. And on Zoom classes, I'm checking in with the students. I talk to all of them and ask for requests and base the class on their requests. 
which is an acquired skill. It takes some time to be able to do that, but you can definitely do it. And I don't have a plan. So I have a lot of experience and a lot of ideas in my head that I can draw from and a lot of practice embodied. I think that's the most important thing you can have coming into the class. But I do have always this bell curve in mind. Even in a yin class, we're not going to do too much, we're not going to do any rajasic stuff in a yin or restorative class, but we are going to start very, very simple, add a little bit of movement, maybe things are a little more complex, like we're going to get up and move to the next pose and do a little more complex pose. We're not going to start with a super deep pose, but we'll build up to it, and then we'll wind down into more meditative stuff at the end. So that's the general framework and structure that I'm thinking about. And at the beginning of class, again, I'm taking requests, checking in, see how they feel, what's the general energy and vibe of the class that day, and teach to that. And I've got all these little sequences in mind, which I'll cover in another episode at some other time, how we do that. But I've got the bell curve, and within that, those little mini sequences in mind. And I say, you know, here's the props we need, here's where we start. And then at the end of class, I have a specific way I, I say uh, you know, to close the class, and you can find your own way. You don't have to do it my way at all, but have a way that starts and ends the class. And almost every teacher will end the class with a bowing and namaste, which I think is a great way to complete and close the container of the class. Now we are done with practice, and we go back to life outside of practice. This is very important because when we work within this container, we are cultivating energy. When we have boundaries, we can cultivate energy within those boundaries. Boundaries are so important for this. We can cultivate skill and mastery and better understanding of ourselves and our breath. And the more that we have these consistencies, these consistent variables of how the general flow of the class is, the general poses, we're doing a lot of the same poses a lot of the time, that stays the same, but our mind and our awareness changes. It gets deeper. We get stronger. We get more flexible, more balanced, or less. And some days we're just off, and that's okay too. And we develop compassion and kindness and understanding. But we have a general container that's the same that we practice within. And to an extreme, you know, I've work with people who, I, I haven't done this myself, but like TM, Transcendental Meditation, it's just mentally repeating a mantra for 15 minutes twice a day. It's a very specific, very repetitive practice, but within that simplicity and repetition, it opens up so much new awareness and insight because that doesn't change, but our mind and our awareness does change over time. And it's the same principle at play here. And I've had other meditation practices, I do that consistently, and yoga practices that I've done in different phases that consistently. And I find that to be true as well. When the general container and structure is the same, then we begin have the sort of foundation to become more aware of what's changing and what's evolving and growing that's not part of that container necessarily, right? So we're working within it to help become more aware of ourselves and help our students become more aware of themselves through it. So if you're wondering what to teach, how to teach, how to structure a class, this is, I think, the most valuable thing you can do. Think of a bell curve, start simple, get more complex, and end simple. Start more just being aware of certain specific things and then build into being aware of many things going on at once and then end with deeper meditation, maybe pranayama, maybe meditation or longer shavasana.
it's a super effective way of approaching things. It looks kind of like a sine wave, right? It's like a starts low, goes up high, comes back down. And that's the general flow of our whole day, the circadian rhythms when we're sleeping. If you ever track your sleep in a sleep tracking app, you'll see these same waves. And ideally, we have several of those waves when we're sleeping, so we'll go in and out of deep sleep. And throughout the day, our altradian rhythms are the same thing. So we've got peaks of energy and lulls of energy. And it's like a wave all day going up and down. Same thing in the yoga practice. I think this is why it works so well, because it's our natural wave of energy throughout the day. So it starts simple, becomes more complex, and simple, and then we move on to the rest of the day. So if you have any questions about this, send me a message at jeremy.quietmind on Instagram. And check out the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training. The next class is opening soon, and you can join in on an info session and ask any questions that you might have. And uh, connect with me, see if you feel like it's a good fit. If you want to learn more with me, quietmind.yoga slash YTT. It's an amazing 12-week experience, 200 hours, very in-depth and thorough to help you learn 10 core competencies of yoga and understand everything you need to feel confident to teach. Just like Shannon, who was in the last class and went right from training right into teaching, even though she hadn't been a teacher before, she was definitely ready because she'd put in a lot of time in her own practice and she had shown up so consistently and so committed throughout the training. She was definitely ready, right? And Trish, who I'll probably interview at some point in here, she started her own business, the Yoga Homebody. Uh, it's amazing what she's doing. So uh, she's already just right from the training, confident to teach, ready to go and doing amazing work. And you can be that too. And there's also lots of people who take the training who just want to do it for their own personal growth. You can definitely do that as well. Quietmind.yoga slash YTT is where you can learn all about that in the upcoming info sessions. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your day and look forward to sharing more with you soon next time on the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training Podcast.